as uh, Pastor John Nicholas finds his notes, if you would turn to Zechariah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and have the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading God's Word. Certainly appreciated. I did make the comment in Sunday school class today that we could, I could just continue, move everybody down there, and we could just keep going on with what we were speaking about. I am ceased to be surprised at how the clarity of the Scripture, how it all works together, how it speaks to us when we're studying it. And it's no different today. I could have rewritten my entire message based on what we've spoken about in the class, and I don't mean writing what, uh, differently about what the meaning of this scripture is, but the fact that there were so many points that were taken away from our Sunday school class today that just fit with this particular message. So I do apologize to those in the Sunday school class. You might hear some non-new material up here, so, but please don't tune out. Last week we spoke specifically uh, about... Jesus questioning the teaching that the scribes were doing, working through Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. This uh, Psalm 110 uh, is a royal psalm about the enthronement of a king, more specifically the enthronement of the Messiah. It is a prophetic psalm about Jesus. It is this Psalm that Jesus used to question the scribes about who the Christ, how the Christ was the son of David. We worked through that last week. We showed how Jesus was inductively leading them into saying that this is not just merely a man, but it is the, will be the 100% God, 100% man that is found in Jesus Christ himself. All. Christ followers then, we have a Lord who sits at the right hand of the Father, who sits there and intercedes for us as we speak, who intercedes for all believers, in whom none that He has had, none that the Father has given will be lost, but in whom that we have our life. As we go into these particular passages now, right on the heels of that, right on the heels of this teaching about the Messiah. 
we're going to find Jesus' last public teaching. This is the last time He will be teaching to those around Him that are not the disciples. The last time that He is interacting with those outside of His circle that He has around Him. So it is important when we look at this that we think about what these last words were. What He's speaking about to them. Why it is important to all those around to hear these words of His. Why it's important to us to hear these words of our Savior. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Let's remember in the end of 37 it says, And the large crowd enjoyed listening to them. Hopefully they will also enjoy this. Where it says in 38, In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at banquets. I'm going to be addressing these two verses together before we go to the third. Slightly different than what I normally do. But it's important we have this whole picture of these scribes, and it's important that we talk about what a scribe is, who they are, what they represent, We have to go way back when we see that the Israelites are brought out of slavery in Exodus. We have the installation of the priestly line. The priests then handled the issues with the law that was given by God. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, for example, the priests would have handled that back then. They would have handled the questions about the law as they first came out from Egyptian slavery. And this lasted for a certain period of time until as the law became more and more important to the people that a certain class that we would refer to as scribes developed. They were not of the priestly line necessarily, but they devoted their lives to studying the law and applying the law to daily living to the daily ongoings of the people of Israel. We would find, we find in the Scripture, Ezra Ezra and Nehemiah, we find that Ezra was both a priest and what was referred to as a scribe. Their scholarly study helped to apply the law, God's law, to the daily living of the people of Israel. How do we take this law and how does it apply? How do we take this law of loving your neighbors and how does it apply to this situation? How do we take this law of not coveting the things of your neighbor and apply it to this situation? So forth and so on. And then we go through. This is what they did. It's not a bad thing. They were helping the people. They would eventually be what is known that we know as rabbis. And there was a lot of training, I don't want to belabor it too long, but we do need to speak about it. That there was a lot of training that went into this profession. To know the law would require, it isn't just to know the law so I can can pick up the scripture and I can leaf through it, or in their case, go through the scrolls, and find what I was looking for. They had certain things that they were required to memorize. 
There were certain things that, that as you went and progressed, that you could progress on to be this scribe, to be this rabbi. I want you to imagine that you had somebody as, as a scribe or rabbi standing in front of you that would have the first five books of the Bible completely memorized, if not the entirety of the Old Testament. That when they spoke, I mean, it wasn't like they were leaping through or rolling through a scroll, that they knew it. This is what their lives were devoted to. The interesting thing is that they weren't supposed to receive any money for this. They would act in the role of a judge, too. They would dispute between people. Because they knew God's law so well, these were the people that they went to. It tells us in Exodus that they weren't supposed, they were supposed to be honorable and truthful, not receive any bribes or any influence for anybody else. That they were strictly to look at God's law and apply it to this situation or this thing that was going on. That they memorized it, that they knew it, they knew how to apply it. They would write the, they, there was great treatises that they wrote about how the application of the law of God. This is what a scribe was. A life devoted to this. A life where they didn't receive a salary for it. A life in their training because they didn't receive a salary. We find out that they were told to have some form of profession. Where do we see this at? We see it with Paul. Paul was what? A tent maker. But that being said, people diverted from that too. Paul was taught by Gamaliel. Gamaliel said that it was good to have a trade so that you weren't a burden on the people. But there was also the school of Hillel, which was about 100 AD or 100 BC or 150 BC, that said that if you were to devote yourself to a trade, you couldn't even know the law because you were more focused on that. So you had people in two schools of thought. I should be getting paid for it. I shouldn't get, be getting paid for it. We're going to see a little of that play out today in these words that we find from Jesus. These rabbis then... These, as we sometimes refer to as scribes, like we have in here, were also part of what the class was of the Pharisees. They were not of the class of the Sadducees. So you could be a Pharisee and a rabbi, for example. Those interchangeable terms that we have there. Now, because they devoted themselves to whose law? God's law. Because they devoted themselves to this law, and this is the highest law of the land, this is God's Word. Remember that is etched upon stone by the hand of God Himself. This is what they're referring to. It's given to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is the law they're referring to, the highest law of the land, the highest the thing that they are supposed to devote their whole lives around that we find in the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where they are supposed to write the law on their doorpost. They're supposed to teach it to their children. They're supposed to speak about it at all times. This is the law. The highest thing, the, the, the highest devotion they can have is to the law of God. So naturally, a person that taught that, a person that worked in that, a person their whole life revolved around that, would receive honor in the society in which they live in. They would be honorable people. Look at that guy. We need to talk to him because he knows this stuff better than we do. They would start... At some point in time, now here's important, I won't go back for a moment. We don't know exactly the time frame when this really started to develop. You know, it's one of those organic processes where all of a sudden the priestly line is over here and then this other thing comes about, they're handling the duties and, and whatnot, it becomes this whole other thing, this rabbinical class. We don't know exactly when that occurred. Maybe somewhere between 400, 500, 600 BC, somewhere in there it started to develop. 
We don't have a definitive date on that. But we have them now. And Jesus is talking about them now. About something about bewaring of these people. Or you could say that that word there is look out for these certain types of these people that are here. They would take this role because now all of a sudden we're receiving honor, we're, we're studying the law, and we're, we're studying God's law, and we know it really well, we're applying it to all these situations, and people are seeking us for advice, we're starting to dress differently. We dress differently than these other people do, than the normal class of people. We dress sort of like the upper class, or the nobility that would be in the area. They would have mainly been in and around Jerusalem, the city of David. They would have filled those variety of roles, not only as judges, but other things, and low-level uh, functionaries in the government, not of the Romans, but of, the, of what the Israelites thought about. But they're not to be confused with the priests. And if they didn't have a job, then there's a hope that they were wealthy, that they had an inheritance that they could live off of, that they could do. But the pursuit of the law was the worthiest cause that they could have. Jesus warned the disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 15. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. He says this, and as he was giving orders to them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Why beware of these certain ones that are out there? Members, Pharisees, scribes, interchangeable words that we find here. There's something about them that is infecting what they're doing. The leaven being that yeast-like the yeast-like substance that would go throughout the dough. And if you've ever made bread, you can see that it affects the whole thing. Jesus says, beware of what they are giving because it's going to infect everything that they touch. These men that have this great responsibility of handling God's law correctly Something that they're doing is causing it to go astray. Now, not everyone was bad of the Pharisee or the scribal class. We, we just saw that in, in verses 28 through, 28 through 34, where they asked the question, right? Where they said, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, recognizing that he had answered them well, and asked, what commandment is foremost of all? Seriously searching out what the answers were. Not all bad. But Jesus addressing an issue as a whole, this thing, as he says here, as he says, he said, beware of the scribes who walk around in long robes. And they want respectful greetings in the marketplaces. I mean, is it really a problem, these long robes? Is God really concerned with a person wearing long robes? Is that the issue here? Perhaps we, and we'll touch on it later in Matthew, 
He would also give condemnation with regard to the phylacteries that they would wear. So it might be a small, uh, a small boxy or a frontlet, a uh, small box that would be worn around the arm that would have uh, certain passages from the Old Testament written in it or that would be on their forehead. Matthew says the same thing in a greater treatise about this, says, it, it, you know, these, these, they walk around with these things. I mean, is it a problem that the robes, that these long robes that they're wearing or these, the, 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 these, 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 these frontlets or phylacteries that they're wearing, is, I mean, are they bumping into people? Is it because the problem, is the problem because people are stepping on them and tripping in them? Is that the issue? Is, you think that's what God is all about here. Is, he, is that why he's saying, beware of these people in these long robes who would like to be greeted in the market, marketplaces. Is that the issue? Is that, it's just because they're in the way. Is it just because they want this? No, it's, it's, it has to do with the heart issue that these people have. It has to do with the way they're in the marketplace. It has to do with the fact that they're wearing these robes so they will be recognized. It could either be referring to the talith, which was like a prayer shawl that they would wear, so that you would know that they were in prayer. Remember, Jesus gives the warning about the hypocrites and the long prayers that they give. Or the people standing out in public and giving prayers, but walking around with something that says, oh, look, this is a prayerful man. Or it could be the white robes that they would wear, that they were brilliant white that walk around, you couldn't miss them. It would be like these lights here walking around in the marketplace. Everybody's out there buying and selling things, and here comes these guys walking through in these long robes that look different than everybody else. These people that study the law, that, are, that, that the law is so important to them, right? But they're, something is wrong with what they're doing. They're walking around to be noticed. They're walking around to be seen. Look at me. Look at my prayer shawl that I'm wearing. Look, look how pious I am, how righteous I am. Can't you see these robes? It identifies who I am as I'm walking through. You can see me. You can see their head held high, their nose up, maybe even looking down. Maybe in saying, thank you, God, for not making me like these people. Thank you for allowing me to understand the law so I'm not like them. A different class of people. They walk around and beware, Jesus says, look out, would even, would even be a better translation than beware. Look out for these people specifically who walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings at the marketplace. Those deferential greetings at the marketplace. Those greetings that would say how great they are at the marketplace. This is the thing they desire. Here is an issue. They are representing God's law and stealing the honor from God. They're taking the honor for themselves, not giving it to God. They're thinking they're the ones and not God. And I would argue that they're playing with the wrath of God while they're doing it. It says there in verse 39, and not only are they wandering through the marketplaces with their bright robes or their prayer shawls on, and they're accepting the greetings, but it says they get the chief seats in the synagogues. Direct translation, by the way, the Greek synagogue is what it is in the Greek. That's where you get the synagogue from. 
Again, somewhere, it's probably when we see the, the official of the, the rabbi scribal class coming about, it's probably about the time we see it with the synagogues. Again, we don't know exactly the time when that comes about. We'll put it somewhere after the temple is gone uh, originally, where it's destroyed, somewhere in that neighborhood, probably. It's not really important, just an aside there, but the chief seat of the synagogue. What is the chief seat of the synagogue? It isn't this seat here at the pew. It sits in front of what they would refer to as the Ark. Now, it's not the Ark of the Covenant, because that's long gone. But the Ark is the thing that would hold the scrolls inside of it. There would be a seat placed right there. It was referred to as Moses' seat. And they would sit in front of this. And the, 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 the scrolls of the law, the scrolls of what we even know as the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books and whatnot, are in there, the scrolls of the prophets or in there, and they're sitting in front of it, and they're looking out to the congregation. Now picture that. There's the best seat in the house. You can see everybody. You can almost sit in judgment of everybody, but they're not like me. Look how close I am to God. Look at the way I'm dressed. I'm so close. And they sit there in that seat. Jesus says this is a problem. Not only do they walk through the marketplace with their robes so that they can be seen, so they can receive some form of honor, with the greetings and stuff that goes on there, but they also take those cheap seats at the synagogue looking like they're better than everyone else. These are the scribes you need to watch out for. And then they also take the places of honor at banquets. Jesus is very precise on what he's saying here. And we haven't even, we're going to address the longer version in Matthew in just a little bit. But what's the issue with this? What's the issue with these banquets? Well, important people in and around Jerusalem would have banquets, parties. They wouldn't be sitting around in tables like we would. We would have, they would have those, those what we refer to as low couches or whatnot, where you would recline. Uh, you would recline, you eat, it would go on for a long period of time. And of course, the place of honor would be that place next to the host. It says there, it says, in, in, in the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. In fact, they would take the place of honor above and beyond even the parents of the host. <coughs> That's how important they saw themselves. That's how important the people around them saw it. Because it was honorable for the, for the host of a banquet to have, they were viewed as important and righteous people, to have the rabbi and his students come. Look at how important I am. They would come and sit in these places. They would desire these places. They would walk to the head of the line. We could see it today. The line at the restaurant, the fancy restaurant, they go right to the head. Give me the best table. I want to be seen. Sit me at the window so the people walking by can see me. I want them to see how I am. I want them to see my holiness. I want them to see my righteousness. I want them to see how important I am. Jesus says, beware of these people. Beware of these ones that desire these things. Beware of these shepherds, these one supposed shepherds that claim they that do these things. 
You said the other week, these ones that claim to have the shepherd's crook to guide the people, yet in turn, they're doing something entirely different. The ones that are supposed to represent what God is like, the characteristics of God, are seeking and stealing God's honor from Him. They are seeking the honor for themselves so they can be puffed up. So they can be seen as as more important than everyone else. They are looking to be served rather than surveying. And these actions that they're, at, that they're taking are reflecting their hearts, what is truly in their hearts. It has become more important to receive these things and these honors and to look this way and to act this way than it has, be, has been to truly represent God. We look to verse 40, and it says, these ones, these ones you're supposed to look out for, are also the ones who devour widows' houses. These one, devouring the widows' houses, remember, they serve in various positions. They would seek, and remember, they're not supposed to get any money either. But these are controlled by avarice and love of money. Many of them are as opposed to being true shepherds and righteous judges, they are taking these homes and this money from widows themselves, using their positions to coerce others into giving to them, to line their own pockets. Because the widows that are out there would be vulnerable to abuse, and they are taking advantage of the situation. Now if we pause for here for a second, is that the way God works? Does He take advantage of the vulnerable? Not at all. That isn't who God is. Yet these are the ones that are representing God. And we can see how the damage is. If you have the person, I'll say it right here. Don't listen to me with an open mind. Keep that Bible open and listen to me. Check it against the Bible, what I'm saying. I'm just a man. And a sinful one at that. Forgiven by God. Forgiven by Jesus. Washed in the blood, but I am a sinful man. Check what I'm saying against the Scripture. This is the truth that we have. The only truth that we can trust is what it says here. So these these men, they're greed. Jesus has said they're, they're walking around to be noticed. They're walking around to be greeted with honor so that they're puffed up. It says they seek out the chief seats in the best places at the banquets so they can be seen and noticed playing into their ego. It says that they devour widows' homes, that they take from those that are vulnerable for their own gain, that their greed was their God. And it was masked in their false piety, their false righteousness. Representatives of God stealing His honor. The supposed righteous ones acting in unrighteous manner in the things that they do. Shepherds, shepherds taking advantage of the sheep. No wonder when Jesus is at the feeding of the 5,000, He has compassion on the people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And if this is the people that are supposed to be shepherding you, this is the way they're acting. They're no shepherds at all. They're like wolves, devouring everything in their path. 
Instead of pointing to God, they're pointing to themselves. And using it as just pointing to God, and you, they're talking about God using it as justification for themselves. And it says there, and they say, for appearances sake, offering long prayers. Appearances sake. Just so they could be seen and heard. So they could be seen as one way as righteous. To be seen as one way as holy. For appearances sake. Seen this way. Not because of the love of God. Not because they recognize themselves as sinners. Not because they desire a relationship with God. But just so that people will see them. That people will hear them. That people will say, oh, you're so righteous. I want to be like you. No, you don't. Because you're going to be under condemnation if you're like them. Jesus knows the heart of men. He sees exactly, He penetrates into that and sees exactly what they're doing. And He is warning those around Him, including His disciples, about these particular people. Watch out for these supposed teachers of the law because they are no teachers at all. They aren't teaching you about me. Look at what they've done to my house. Look how they turned it into a den of thieves. Look how they set up commerce inside of it. Don't you see how they're leading you astray? They're leading you away from the God who loves, the God who provides, the God who will provide the way of salvation in just a few short days. Don't you see what they're doing? That they aren't representing my Father at all. They are representing themselves alone. It's interesting how in Mark chapter 12, verse 14, that they, these people recognize this about Jesus. It said in verse 14, it says, They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. In other words, it would say in there, your direct translation would say, you do not look at the face of man. You don't judge by appearances, you judge by the heart. You judge by what's within them, what's within those wicked chambers that they have. Run from their influence, he is telling them. Run away from these. You should be able to recognize them because what they're doing is not what God does. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. The eight woes that are there. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. In other words, because of their actions, they are preventing people from seeing and seeing who God truly is, what God truly has done. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Tell me about that condemnation. The false teaching that they are doing is creating greater false teachers. Woe to you, blind guides. Think about that. The shepherds are blind guides. What does a shepherd do? 
Sheep are dumb. They need to be led. Psalm 23. Lead them beside still waters. Make them lie down. Give them drinks. Protect them. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd is to guide them on those mountain paths, those dangerous places, so they don't fall off. Yet it's saying right here, Jesus is saying, they are just blind guides. They don't even know what they're teaching. What they're teaching is greed. What they're teaching is all about them. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. 17, you fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold of the temple? The gold or the temple that it sanctified the gold? And 18, and whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it is obligated. False teaching all around that they're doing. You blind men. Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? They are pointing the wrong way about. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. False teachers the whole way around. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Circle that. This is what they're doing. On the outside, with their beautiful robes and their prayer stalls, in, in, in their look and where they sit and where they're at, they look like they should be honored and in turn they should be condemned for what they do. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup of the dish so that the outside of it may be a clean dish also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but the inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Think about the condemnation that Jesus is laying upon these men. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. I'm just going to stop there. Think about it. They are representing, saying they are representing the prophets and what the prophets told, yet they are from the line that killed all the prophets. The ones who came and spoke of God and spoke the truth of God and directed people to God, they are the ones that were killed and punished by the same line that these guys come from. What hypocrites they are. That's the issue here. They are being condemned for preventing people from finding the kingdom of heaven, for taking from the widows, for making their students even more horrible and hateful than they are, for making foolish oaths, for making outward action more critical than inward change, for hiding their greed by false piety, for claiming to teach of the prophets, but being the, of the same ilk of the ones that killed the prophets. The result, Jesus said, is they, at the end there, these will receive greater condemnation. 
But someone might sit there and say, well, hold on a second. Even though they act this way, they still teach from the law. They still talk about Moses. They, they still talk about the prophets. They still point to the goodness of God. And besides, can't God draw a straight line with a crooked stick? Well, the answer is yes, He can. But, they are supposed to be representing God. Not adulterating the message. Not causing people to have a false idea of what God's character is like through their behavior. Not causing the people to stumble. Not causing the sheep to fall off the cliff by their actions. They claim to be wise, but they show themselves fools. They are playing a game with God's wrath, and hence Jesus' warning to not be associated with them. These short verses about what these characters are like are in the last of the public teaching of Jesus, the last that He gives, and it's a warning. I know that the people, listen, the disciples are there, the people look to these people for guidance. But they are no guides at all. They're the ones that will lead you straight off the cliff, right into hell by what they do. If you follow these false guides, you're on the road to damnation yourself. If you look at the way they're acting and what they do and what they're seeking, you'll find that it's not of God at all. It certainly isn't what Jesus did. This warning that He gives them, we want to think. Think to ourselves, why do I want to be on the lookout for this? Why are the disciples being warned? Why is it such a warning against hypocrisy? Why is it so dangerous? Why is it so dangerous, this false religion? Why is it so dangerous, this false teaching? Be always on the guard against the evil influence of the ones such as these. The ones that point to themselves for their own glory. The ones that steal the honor that only belongs to God for themselves. God Himself is to be glorified, not man. They're leading people astray with this false teaching. And I want to take care as we work through this. I've done a lot of praying about this, uh, about where we're going to go here at the end with this. Uh, I want to be careful. I want to be cognizant. I want to be grace-filled as much as possible. But I also have to be uh, wise and not hold back from what is being said here. I want you to think about and compare how these people sought adulation, praise, honor without truly knowing God and how Jesus humbles himself. We see that in Philippians chapter 2. We just spoke about it in Sunday school class today. How Jesus humbles himself, becomes like a man. He steps out of glory and he comes like a man. So these guys are seeking glory to be puffed up themselves, but Jesus himself, 100% God, 100% man, comes to earth lowly, a lowly existence that he has, a lowly birth that he has, a lonely fa lowly family that he has. He's not walking around in white robes, yet they somehow uh, recognize the authority that he has. He was born in a humble state, God in flesh, how he ate with sinners. 
Well, these scribes certainly aren't eating with sinners. We see that repeatedly throughout the Scripture. How they had no compassion on people. How Jesus had not only that compassion that we see at the feeding of the 5,000, but He had so much compassion that He was nailed to a cross because of the compassion for the people. Because they couldn't do it themselves. Those who claim to know God were seeking the praise, the power, the gain. Jesus, on the other hand, he looks like that bronze serpent we talked about this morning in Sunday school class. The bronze serpent that we find in the Old Testament, that we find when the serpents are amongst the Israelites in the desert, and they're bit, and they're dying. And God tells Moses, construct this bronze serpent, lift it up on a wooden pole, and when the people look at that, they will be saved. The serpent representing the sin of the people, the bronze representing the judgment. And then Jesus himself says that I too must be lifted up like this, that to look upon me, you will be saved. This is the role that Jesus filled. And in turn, because of his shame and punishment, we are seen as sons and daughters of the God Most High. Think about the short-sightedness of these scribes and these Pharisees, these rabbis. They know, or they should know where the good food is, but they are rooting around in the trash. And they're taking others with them. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. That we will incur a stricter judgment. That these will fall under greater judgment. Look at Paul's warning in Acts chapter 20, verse 19. Acts chapter 20, verse 19. His farewell. Why do I have 20 verse 19? It's not 20 verse 19. Sorry about that. It's 29. But it's his farewell to Ephesus when he brings the elders from the church at Ephesus to him before he leaves. And he says to him, it's actually verse 29. Apologize for that. Starting in verse 28, it says, Be on guard for yourselves for all the flock. Look at the so that image of that shepherd for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which shepherding, guiding the church of God, this is the responsibility now that the church itself has, that the leaders of the church have, to guide that church of God. And why is that responsibility great? Because it was purchased with the blood of Christ. Christ died for the church. We find that in Ephesians 5. Christ died for the church. Therefore, the responsibility of the shepherd is great. And great condemnation will fall upon those who do not guide the church well. Will fall upon those who step outside of the Bible and say things that are not inside the Bible of what they should do. The Bible tells me so. This is my marching orders. Right here. That these people be on guard, Paul says. Be on guard for these people. Open up those Bibles and look and see what it says and see if it's true what they're telling you. 
He says there, I know that after my departure, after Paul leaves, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Jesus Himself taught about it with the scribes and the Pharisees. They're already doing it. It's going to be no different in the church. You must be on guard at all yourselves. And I'm going to tell you people, one of the giant, big giant problems in the church of today is biblical illiteracy. And the church itself should be condemned for that, for allowing it to happen. For dumbing down this book to be popular in the world. It is horrible out there to not know this book. I think of all the time I spend in the church not knowing any of this. And it disturbs me to see that, to not know what the truth is, to have it right in front of you, houses that are filled with them and not know what's in them. And Paul warns them about these savage wolves. This isn't friendly wolves. These are little dogs you can pet that come in. Savage wolves to rend and tear from the flesh of the people in there to ruin them and drag them into eternal damnation. That's what he's saying there. From among your own selves, he says in verse 30, from among you they are going to come speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert. Be on alert. That's where you must be. Be on alert. We too should look and see who is teaching and who is preaching. We should look to see where our friends are going too. What they're, what they're hearing out there. Listen to the preacher with an open Bible. And if he's not preaching right, take him alone in private and ask him about it. And if he doesn't listen, then take a friend or two with you. That's from the Scripture. It's our guide and our foundation. We look to the Scripture that guides us and tells us about our Lord and Savior. The Scripture is the only way to know the truth. It's the only way to know the truth. I am convinced that we have become functional Catholics in the Bible, in the, in the church. Functional Catholics because we sit up here, all we do is we listen to who's ever speaking up here and we never look at it ourselves. We need to look at those passages that are taught by our Lord and we need to know that they're true. We need to take the warnings of these false teachers seriously. We see them everywhere. We see it in the characteristics demonstrated here in Harrisburg. doesn't take long to see it. Teaching that says that abstaining from meat on Friday somehow gains favor with God. Teaching that says that someone who calls themselves a priest can claim that your sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ alone, not by a man. By Him Teaching that says money or certain mantras will buy your way out of purgatory that doesn't exist. Teaching that says that Jesus needs your help to save you. Teaching that says you must be able to speak gibberish to be saved. Teaching that says that baptism saves you. Teaching that says that just raise a hand and you're saved. Teaching that focuses on our felt needs, our health, our wealth, our happiness, our wife, our husband, our children, our families. That these are somehow the gospel and they are not. A message that says that don't judge what you're hearing from people that claim that they're Christians. A message that says that Jesus is love only and skips the fact that He is the judge. A message that says that Jesus came to save all. No, He didn't. He came to save those that were chosen by the Father for Him. 
a message, a teaching, a message that says that man is the apex and the greatest, that it's all about us. That a message that we are the most important. This is not a message that saves. This is a message that has paved the smooth road to hell. Soft underfoot, as C.S. Lewis would say. Gosh, where are we standing? Are we standing in front of these people that are hearing this trash? Are we trying to protect them from the, from the, from the fires of hell or not? And I'm condemning myself in that. God, we can see why this health and welfare gospel is so popular. Because it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost friendships. But it's going to cost you your soul. The best life now gospel. I'm going to tell you, if this is your best life now, you're, I'm going to, it's going to be horrible. The next thing you see, if you're not found in Jesus. Yeah, that's right. We, 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 as one of my professors said, we are never dying souls heading to a never ending eternity. And there are two places you go in that never ending eternity. One is eternal damnation. The other is the joy and glory found in being with our Lord and Savior. And it is beyond irresponsible if a pastor is not preaching that you must repent and be born again and found in Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. To leave people comfortable in their sin for the sake of popularity. For the sake of being liked. Is worthy of punishment to claim that one is a preacher, preacher of the word yet does not do it. It scares me to say even these words. And I've fought over them last night for quite a while because as some things changed. It really has was condemning to myself because I think about so many missed opportunities. So many times when I did not have the courage to speak when I should have. We end up trading a relationship with our God, our Creator, for trinkets of the world. For the trash of the world. For we are mere dust Dust trading in dust that is returning to dust. The only thing that you bring to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And if we are not preaching that, if I am not preaching that from the pulpit, then we are liars. We have many friends and family members that are caught in this trap that is out there. Friends and family who never have never known the truth. Uh, to be free in the Son is to be free indeed. We need to point them to the truth of the Gospel. To bury that Gospel deep within our the good news deep within our hearts. To know we are covered by the blood of Christ and saved within our hearts so we can tell them that we can rest on the, on the strength of Jesus and point to that message to them. And not be afraid to point out the false teachers that are out there. Think hard on these things. Think hard on your own salvation. Think rightly about what brought it about. Think deeply of the cost and the joy that it brings our Savior to save us. Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, just thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for everyone who's here today. Please continue to be with us, uh, continue to strengthen us, continue to guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
you would stand with us and 